0: Yea, foolish mortals, Noah's flood is not yet subsided. Two-thirds of the fair world it yet covers. This is a very insightful quote from the book Moby Dick. The reason I find it insightful is, is that it's all too easy to think of Noah's flood as a story from history that a long time ago, long before we kept records of things, the earth was filled with people who were disobedient, that God decided he was going to be done with humanity. It grieved his heart to see the disobedience and the rebellion and the sin. And so he made plans to be done with humanity, but Noah found favor in God's eyes. God created for Noah a boat, Through that boat, Noah was rescued as death and destruction came on the whole world. And thanks be to God, we don't live at a time like that. God's not going to do that anymore until we get to the end of time. And we think of the story of Noah as simply a history lesson. The reason why this is such an insightful quote to me is because it's reminding us that there are things from Noah's flood still here today reminding us that this is not a history lesson. This is still our reality today. I mean, literally, shipwrecks and drownings, localized floods, tropical storms, the idea that Noah's flood in some way still happens day by day metaphorically, the idea that the oceans are so vast and so grand and they cannot be conquered by a human, the pounding and thundering of the waves, the chaos of the waters, all of this metaphorically reminds us we need help. We need to be rescued. That we are in danger from water, both literally and metaphorically, the storms of life, are all around us, and Noah's ark and the story of the flood is not a history lesson, it is about history. But it's God speaking to us today to proclaim to us his love, his faithfulness, and his salvation in the midst of a world that is lost at sea. So I invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, I know I do this every week. I invite you to take a Bible from the rack in front of you. But this week, it'd be really great if you did that because I'd like to show you a couple of words and I'd like you to highlight them or mark them or take note of them. And if you had a Bible, it'd be easier to see what I'm talking about. And so there's one in the rack in front of you. Uh, You may have brought your own. You may have your own at home with you. Genesis chapter seven, page five in the church Bibles. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so pretty easy to find, chapter 7. In Genesis 6, we began Noah's story by talking about the fact that he built uh, an ark. We did that a couple of weeks ago. Now in Genesis 7, we're getting ready to go into the ark. And so chapter 7, verse 1, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And what I'd like you to do is, if you have a pen or something with you, I'd like you to do whatever you do to take note of something, underline it, circle it, make a mental note of it, write it on your notes. The special word in this verse is the preposition into. Do you see it there right after the word go? Go into. And again, you can mark that, and I know some of you are now currently marking in the church Bibles, uh, and that's fine. It's good. Years from now, someone will pick that up and go into, and they'll get saved or something powerful will happen. So that's great. So you're doing your part. So circle the, circle the word, underline it. That's our key word, into. Go into the ark. Now, verses two to four Talk about the fact that animals go into the ark and that rain is coming. Verses five and six talk about that Noah did everything the Lord commanded and that he was 600 years old. And now, verse seven don't put away your pens, you're gonna need them. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his wife's sons, and here's another word that goes with into that I'd like you to circle or underline or take notes of entered. They entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Verse 13, on that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, here's our word again, entered the ark. Verse 15, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and what? Entered the ark. So you should have underlined or circled or wrote down. Entered and into Verses 1 to 15 is about Noah and his family going into the boat. Rain is coming. Death and destruction is coming on the outside of the boat. So they are going to enter into the ark. Now something happens in verse 16 that changes. And we note the change because our preposition changes. The animals going In were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him, where? In. So circle that, underline it, write it in your notes, make a mental note, whatever you're going to do. Starting in verse 16, we are shifting from into to in. In. For the 40 days, the flood, verse 17, kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth. All the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. Imagine how much water that is. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Every living thing. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those with him, and here's our word again, in the ark. So circle in, underline it, write it in your notes. Verse 23, in the ark. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. <clears throat> verse 9. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah. Where? In the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself. Where? In the ark. In the ark. In the ark. In the ark. The first 15 verses into, enter into, enter into. From verse 16 of chapter 7 on, Noah is in the ark. The rains are happening, death is coming. God says to Noah, it's time for you to enter into the ark. And then they are living in the midst of the flood in the ark. Now at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, (laughs) they went into the ark and now they're in the ark. Like that's kind of how it works, right? You go into something and then you're in something. That's just how prepositions work. Why am I making a big deal out of this? I'm making a big deal out of this because this story is about more than just Noah's Ark. We find that out in 1 Peter chapter 3. I've got that on the screen. Watch what Peter says. For Christ, speaking of Jesus, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you and I to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And here's where we got to slow down and pay very close attention to what's happening here. Do you see the word right after that period? In it. In what? In the ark. Same thing as in Jesson. In the ark, in the ark, in the ark, in the ark. Here it is. In the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. The story is actually about us. Not the removal of dirt from the body. But the pledge of a clear conscience towards God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. What Peter is saying is the ark, the boat, is actually a picture of Jesus. That what we have in Revelation 7 and 8 is something that teaches us or points us to Jesus. Not so much Noah or the animals or the waters. The thing that points us to Jesus is the boat. The ark teaches us today about Jesus. Now, how does this work? Well, Peter simply mentions the connection. Paul explains how this works. So let me invite you to turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans, chapter 6. In the church Bibles, that's page 915. Romans chapter 6. Now let me just say that I was sitting here last week when Pastor John uh, Ganey uh, came and brought a message, and I didn't actually know what he was going to be talking about or what passage. He just said that he had prayed and that the Lord had directed him to a New Testament passage that would connect with our study in Genesis. And then he opened to Romans 6, and I thought, how in the world did this happen? that the Holy Spirit line these up. Romans 6 is where we need to be today to understand what is going on in the book of Genesis. And I'm so grateful that God works all things together, even little things that you might not be uh, paying attention to. He's in charge of all that stuff. So Romans 6, verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, What? into, so here's where we're going to circle or underline or pay close attention. We were baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is talking here about humans, you and I, living in a world full of sin and death. And what God did for us is he provided a means by which we can be rescued from certain death. And that means is Jesus. Now the theology may feel intimidating. It shouldn't be. The imagery is quite easy. Jesus is like the ark. If you want to be saved from death, You have to come into Christ. You have to be put into Jesus. And when you enter into Jesus, there is death all around you, but it can't touch you. Now keep going, Romans 6, verse 11. What happens when a person gets put into Jesus? In the same way count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God, where? In Christ Jesus. After you go into the ark, you are then in the ark. After we go into Christ, meaning we become Christians, we are then living where? In Christ. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, where in Christ Jesus our Lord, and the really cool thing we don't have time to look at this, I would love to show this to you. But after that, into in Romans 6, after that, the rest of the epistles and on into Hebrews and First Peter, what you get over and over and over again is the phrase in Christ. That when you and I become Christians, we enter into Christ and then we live in Christ. And the ark is the most beautiful picture of this. There is death all around. And so God, by his great grace, provides a lifeboat. And the encouragement is first, get into the boat. And when you get into the boat, you're then living where? In the boat. And the boat. Is Jesus. Now what does this mean for you and I today? Four thoughts. First, for those who are not yet Christians, the urgent plea is, come into the boat. It's already started raining. Death is all around us. We're not simply talking about Floods that happened thousands of years ago. Death is all around us right now. COVID-19. Death all around us. A fatal shooting on a film set. Death. The Ahmad Arbery trial case. We're surrounded by these sorts of things. Ariana Fitz's disappearance five years ago. And Gabby Petito's recently. It's death all around us can't remember the lady's first name, but her last name is uh, Graeber in Iowa, teacher, allegedly murdered by two of her students death all around us that's not to mention just the general chaos of social media and governments and financial institutions the rain has started it's raining and the encouragement to you is God has built a boat it's already done Jesus has already died. First Peter says, the righteous, Jesus, died for the unrighteous, us. And the encouragement is, it's raining. Please, you're going to drown. Come into the boat. This is where there's life. This is where there's safety. This is where there's security. God doesn't want you to perish. You say, how? How did somebody come into the boat First Peter says it this way, the pledge of a good conscience to God. That doesn't mean that you have everything and your thoughts are good. What it means is is that you, in your right mind, simply pledge yourself to God. Like, God, I want to be with you. I want to stick with you. I don't want death. Jesus has already died, the righteous for the unrighteous, and when you and I decide to stick with God, Then we enter into the boat. My urgent plea to you today is come into the boat. There's more rain coming. It's not going to stop. God has provided a way for you to experience life. Second, participating in a local church for a Christian is absolutely essential. If we kept going in Romans 12, remember I said the in Christ language shows up over and over again. This is what we would read if we get to Romans 12, verse five. So, what, where? In Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. This is speaking about the local church. When you come into Christ and are living in Christ, you are living in community. That on the boat, there's some other people. And that when you get into the boat, it's designed for you and I to fellowship and engage with other people on the boat. How many of you have had the experience in warmer weather of being out on Lake Michigan, a ways from shore in a boat, and getting out of the boat and jumping in the water and going swimming? Great fun, right? But that's only possible because the boat is there, right? The boat is where the food is. The boat is where the towels are. The boat is where you got drinks. The boat is where you can get out of the water and rest. What would happen if you were far from shore swimming and there was no boat? You would drown. The kindness is the boat gives you rest in the midst of the turbulent waters. So it is with the church, which is the body of Christ, that God has provided a way so that as we are swimming in death all week long, that God has provided a means by which we can experience life in Christ, a place where you can come out of death and rest and receive food and fellowship, and community, and comfort, where you can dry off after all of the struggle and difficulty. This is the local church. In Christ. See, Jesus is a person. But the reason why the ark is such a beautiful picture for Jesus is because he creates a space. And when you come into the boat, you're now in community. So it is with Jesus. When you become a Christian, you are now in Christ. And the expression of being in Christ is you're in a local church. Now, I got to be really careful how I say what's coming next. And so I would like to say this as kindly and sympathetically and understandingly as possible, given the circumstances in which we find ourselves today. I understand that for some people it is not physically possible to be present here with us in this gathered community. I understand that and far more importantly, God understands that. There are also some who today, because of technology and other things, are more disconnected from the gathering in the local community. And I just want to urge you from the bottom of my heart to really think this through. Because what is a blessing from the Lord, the ability to do this from a distance, can become a stumbling block when it is no longer simply about can't come and moves into prefer not to come. Or it's easier if I don't. Think of it this way, and I don't mean this to be a harsh example, but think of it this way. If Noah's on the boat, and he gives to each of his sons a computer, and says, I'll be streaming from the boat, you watch at home, please understand there's something about that that won't work. And I'm saying it not to be facetious, but to make the point, it's not my point. I believe that this is what this is saying. Practically speaking, it's impossible to experience the blessings of being in Christ if you are never in church. Church is where we're supposed to experience the blessings of being in Christ. So let me just encourage you this is a gift from God, a blessing to be able to do this. Number three. This picture of Jesus through the ark reemphasizes the importance for us of baptism. Maybe you heard the word baptism in 1 Peter 3. Perhaps you heard it in Romans 6. It's not an accident that in both passages that we're talking about this connection that baptism is used The baptism that is talked about in 1 Peter 3 and in Romans 6 is baptism of the Spirit. When you become a Christian, when you pledge in good conscience to God, God gives you his Spirit, and that is called baptism. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about here is water baptism, meaning the problem is is that when God gives you his Spirit, It's hard to know that happened. It's invisible. You and I can have it happen and not realize it. So God in his kindness gives us a ceremony that allows us to see and mark and remember that this has happened to us. The way it works with Noah's Ark is this way. How did Noah and his kids get on the boat? Well, they went through the door. (laughs) There's a door God ends up shutting the door. They go through the door to get on the ark. The door doesn't save them, the boat does. What's the door for? The door helps them to realize when they have left the outside world and when they've come into the ark. How did Noah and his family know they were on the ark? Well, they went through the door. There may have been people at the time that were sitting around thinking, oh yeah, I'm on the ark. No, you're not on the ark because you didn't go through the door. So it is for Christians. In God's kindness, he gives us a door. The door doesn't save us, but it helps us know I'm now in Christ. I'm an in Christ person. I am living in Christ. I'm living in the boat. And that door is a ceremony called baptism. And the gift of that ceremony is it allows us to know, oh, yes, this has happened for me. So let me say this again, probably stepping on more toes. If you've only been baptized as a baby, there is something powerful about that. There is a dedicatory feature to that that is a beautiful, wonderful thing. But let me also encourage you that there is something incredibly powerful that as a believing child or a believing adult to consciously Go through a ceremony meant to mark your entrance into Jesus. And that if you've never done that as a believing child or believing adult, let me encourage you. Baptism is powerful for those reasons. And if you're interested in that, we would love if you called the church and we will make arrangements to have that happen uh, to be a blessing to you. The door didn't save them, the boat did. Baptism doesn't save anybody but it's a beautiful way to know I'm going into Christ and I want to live in Christ. Fourth and finally, if baptism is a great ceremony about coming into Christ, God also gave us a ceremony to celebrate being in Christ and that is communion. Think about Noah's boat again for a moment. There's lots of food on the boat. You have to have food or all the animals and the the humans are going to starve. But the food that's on the boat, this is not the lavish feast that the earth can produce. There's nothing growing on the boat. There's no harvest. It's just simply food that's been brought in. And the reason the food is there is to sustain them and to remind them that they have life in the midst of death. And that someday that boat is gonna to come to land on land, and then they will get to experience the fullness of the blessings of what the earth can produce. But until that time comes, on the boat, they regularly partake of food to be reminded that God is giving them life in the midst of death. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate communion together. This is by no means a feast. It's a little piece of bread and a cup. All those people are getting up now. They're going to help serve communion to us. It's not a mass exodus because I don't like this point. <laughs> that can happen sometimes too. But as you take this bread and you drink this cup, it's a reminder that death is all around us, but in Christ is life. And there will come a day in which we will experience the fullness of the riches of God's glory in a heavenly feast. This is not that, but it's a sign. It's a sign that if you are an in Christ person, if you have come into Christ and you are living in Christ, there's life, there's hope. Death is not your future, life is your future. For a long time, we haven't been able to pass trays. Today we get to. When the trays are passed, a couple of instructions for you. First, if you're not yet a Christian, if you haven't gotten into the boat, let me just encourage you, when the tray comes by, just let it pass you by. The food is for the people in the boat. Now, on one hand, you may say, who cares? It's just a small cracker and 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 a little sip of juice. Absolutely. On the other hand, you might feel left out by that or hurt by that. We don't mean it to be hurtful, but we mean it to be an encouragement, a warning. We want you on the boat. We're inviting you. And if this morning in the pledge of a good conscience, you're willing to say, yes, I want to be with Jesus. Please join us. Eat the food. It's a sign that you now have life. If you're not ready to make that decision, just simply let it pass you by. But please be warned. Outside of Christ, there's only death. Death. The rains are going to keep raining. Why not come and join us and let this little bit of food be a sign and a symbol of God's immense love for you. Let me also encourage you, if you are a Christian, when you take the bread in the cup, when you first get the tray, you may think that we forgot the bread. The bread is actually underneath the cu- It's a double stacked cup. And so one cup has bread in it and one cup has juice in it. You just take one of the stacks and then hold on to it. We're going to take it together. Why? 1 Corinthians 10 gives us a symbolism and it fits with this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? It's something we do in the body of Christ together. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share of the one loaf. By gathering together this morning, taking bread and a cup. We are reminded uh, that we are in Christ, that there is life, and that because of Jesus, death is not our future. Eternal life is. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, Seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.